Hey, podcast listeners, just a quick word before the show to tell you about our sponsor. Soonish is supported by Kent Rasmussen Winery of California. Rasmussen has been famous since 1986 for their purely poetic Pinot Noir, grown in the cool mists of the Carneros region of Napa Valley. And under the companion Ramsey label, they offer superior quality North Coast Pinot Noir, Merlot, Petit Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Chardonnay at a wonderful price. I'm a longtime fan of these finely made wines. So, take a bottle of Rasmussen or Ramsey to your next dinner party, and you'll be sure to impress. For more, visit kentrasmussenwinery.com. Okay, let's start the show. I'm Wade Rausch, and this is Soonish. It's a show about the future, how we think about it, what we can do to shape it, and why our best forecasts and our worst fears are usually wrong. I'm a huge public radio geek, and I bet you are too. So there's this one phrase that you've probably heard Terry Gross say a thousand times. If you're just joining us, my guest is Andrew Refkin. If you're just joining us, my guest is journalist Stephen Kinzer. If you're just joining us, we're featuring... I love that particular piece of language. It's Terry's super polite way of acknowledging that listeners come and go, depending on what they're doing that day. And she wants everyone in her audience to feel welcomed and included, even if they didn't start listening at the beginning, or even if their attention wandered a little bit. So if you're just joining us, welcome to Soonish. As I always say at the top of the podcast, it's a show about the future, how we think about it, and what we can do to shape it. The point of the show isn't to try to predict the future exactly. Instead, what I'm trying to do is find people who seem to have arrived in the future just a little bit ahead of the rest of us, and get them to report back about what things are like. Now, one thing we're pretty sure will be different in the future is that people will have new technologies to work with. That's been a safe bet ever since the first industrial revolution in the 1700s. The new inventions come faster in some decades and more slowly in others. But technology always keeps advancing. So in most episodes of Soonish, I latch on to a specific area of technology, and I get experts to explain what's changing and how those changes will affect everyone's lives. That's what I usually do anyway. Today's episode is a little bit different. I've been joking to people that the first five episodes of the show were brought to you by the letter M. The first one was about movies, and then I did shows about monorails, museums, manufacturing, and meat. Well, today I've got one more M word for you, and it's meta. I'm going to talk a little bit about the show itself, and where it came from, and why I'm doing it. In other words, I want to tell you the soonish origin story, and then I want to close by talking about how you can help keep the story going. An origin story usually explains how a comic book character or a movie character became the person they are. Like how Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader. Henceforth, you shall be known as Darth Vader. My own story doesn't require three prequels to tell, but it does begin a long time ago in what feels like a galaxy far, far away. I'm talking about the world before the internet was a thing, when most people got their news and culture from these big cathode ray tubes called televisions, 
and from these sheets of wood pulp called newspapers and magazines. Anyway, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, I loved watching TV coverage of NASA's Skylab missions and the first space shuttle launches. But the thing that truly changed my life was Carl Sagan's TV series Cosmos on PBS. If you liked the recent Cosmos remake with Neil deGrasse Tyson, you've got to go back and watch the original from 1980. The Cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. Our contemplations of the cosmos stir us. There's a tingling in the spine, a catch in the voice, a faint sensation as if a distant memory of falling from a great height. We know we are approaching the grandest of mysteries. To me, those were magical words. Watching Cosmos at the age of 13 was how I learned that science wasn't just about facts. It was about wonder and history and romance and the whole human adventure. After that, I was pretty sure I wanted to grow up to be an astronomer, just like Carl Sagan. Fast forward a few years, and it's the winter of 1985-86, and I'm now a freshman at Harvard College. And a few critical things happened to me in very quick succession. The first thing was that I auditioned for the weekly student newspaper, the Harvard Independent, which meant I had to go out and find a story idea. The second thing was that my hero, Carl Sagan, actually came to campus. He was there to help celebrate the launch of a project to search for radio signals from extraterrestrial civilizations. I had the thrill of meeting Sagan and the scientists behind the project, and that turned into my first story for the newspaper. From that moment on, I was hooked on journalism, especially journalism about science and technology. Thirdly, this happened. That's the sound of the space shuttle Challenger, exploding shortly after launch on January 28, 1986. For me, the accident shattered a lot of my childish illusions about the space program. And it got me thinking for the first time about the dark side of technology, meaning the risks and the costs that are built into almost everything we do. Around the same time, I got a job working at the Harvard College Observatory. At that point, I still thought I wanted to be an astronomer, but my job was pretty unromantic. I hung out in a room with these giant mainframe computers and mounted and dismounted big reel-to-reel tapes full of X-ray satellite data. It was boring work, but it was also incredibly eye-opening. It showed me how much of science is actually about routine stuff like data analysis, and how many years of preparation go into every moment of actual discovery. On top of all that, I wasn't doing so hot in my math and physics classes. Somewhere around linear algebra and relativity theory, I felt like my brain just couldn't handle it anymore. So I took the hint and switched majors. When you take all these things together, they're sort of my origin story. They're like the radioactive spider that bit Peter Parker. First, Carl Sagan blinded me with science. And indirectly, he gave me my first newspaper story. Then, thanks to the Challenger disaster and my observatory job and my bad grades in math and physics, I was cured of any illusions I had about being a scientist. The thing is, I was still obsessed with science, and I wanted to find a new mission where I could still be around science. And the answer I came up with was to study the history of science and technology, and then use that training to become a science journalist, 
That seemed like a plausible career path, since I was already spending all of my time working at the newspaper. Eventually, I wound up being the editor-in-chief of the paper. And in my senior year, I wrote my honors thesis about the history of the future. Specifically, I was interested in the way big American companies like General Motors and General Electric used World's Fairs and theme parks to construct elaborate visions of the world of tomorrow, mostly as a way to get consumers to buy their latest cars and refrigerators. The 700-foot trilon rises above all else, and the circling helicline that leads into the Paris Fairs exhibit Democracy is a pathway to the future. Thousands are treading to get a fascinating preview of things to come. That's a newsreel from the New York World's Fair of 1939, which was called the World of Tomorrow. It was the prototype for every depiction of the future, from the 1962 Seattle World's Fair all the way up to Disney's Epcot Center. And ever since writing that college thesis, I've been fascinated by this question of how we think about the future and how specific visions of the future can alter our behavior in the present. To speed up the story a little bit, I took a five-year detour away from journalism to get a PhD in the history of technology at MIT, which was a ton of fun. And then I spent 20 years writing about science and technology for a variety of publications, mostly in Boston and San Francisco. In 2014, I went back to MIT for a temporary job running a program called the Knight Science Journalism Fellowships, funded by the Knight Foundation. And when that gig was over, I had to figure out what to do with myself. A key fact here is that I had spent my whole career as a writer, and I had zero experience in radio or podcasting. But I realized that I had been getting more and more of my news and information, and even my entertainment, from podcasts. I was listening to shows like Radiolab and 99% Invisible, and it seemed to me like a lot of the most exciting journalism and storytelling was happening through radio and podcasting. So instead of just spending all my time feeling jealous of my colleagues in the audio world, I decided to go out and learn how to make podcasts. And that's been the story of my life for the last year. When the time came to start my own thing, I knew almost right away that I wanted to reach all the way back to my college thesis and do a show about the future. So if you're just joining us, here we are. Soonish is that show about the future. Except it's not literally about the future, since the future doesn't exist yet. The truth is, this is a show about the future as a construct or a way of thinking. When we talk about the future, I think we're really talking about conditions in the present and how they might be different if we had better tools to work with. And the interesting questions for me are all about how those tools are changing and how we decide to use them. So, for example, some of you may remember that in the second episode of Soonish, I talked with monorail engineers and enthusiasts. Monorails have always had a futuristic flair, and it turns out they also have some interesting advantages over other forms of mass transit. In fact, new monorail systems are under construction in cities around the world, just not here in the U.S. So in that episode, I talked to monorail experts, and I tried to find out how monorails in the U.S. got sidetracked, so to speak. You know, Walt Disney was trying to uh, demonstrate to the world what a great idea the monorail was, and and exact opposite happened. It became typecast as a theme park ride. In the third episode, I looked at art museums and how museum attendance is going down in the era of the internet and mobile technology. 
It's a clear case where technology is both the villain and the potential savior. Young people have huge amounts of information at their fingertips through the internet and their smartphones, so they're just not going to museums in person anymore. If that trend continues, it could spell big trouble for museums in the future. But museums that make smart use of the same technologies might find ways to draw young people back in. Um, and so when you give a younger kid um, the app, um, they will uh, play with it and they will figure it out and they will learn and they'll run off and go exploring with it. And, and so I think a lot of um, children are, are using it to learn and explore in a way where they otherwise would be totally tuned out and not paying attention. And in the fifth episode, I looked at the environmental costs of raising livestock. And I talked with entrepreneurs and researchers who are coming up with new food products that might become important substitutes for meat from animals, like crickets and jackfruit and cultured meat. If you just tell someone like, oh, this burger was grown in a lab, like that doesn't sound nice. They're probably going to say, no, that's, that's gross. But once I address all their concerns and, you know, tell them what it is, 100% of the people I've talked to have turned around and been like, yeah, that's a great idea. I would totally try that. So the driving question for the show is always roughly the following. What decisions can we make about technology as consumers or citizens or voters? And how might each of those choices play out in the future? In each episode, I try to find the people who are building new technologies and then use the magic of audio to take you inside their world. To me, the mission of Soonish feels more important right now than ever. Obviously, we're living in a time when political passions are high and opinions are polarized, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And sometimes it feels like we're so caught up in processing our conflicts and grievances that we're not planning for the future. But the future isn't going away, and we'll be failing in our responsibility to future generations if we can't find a way to talk about the common challenges that threaten to undo the progress we have made. I'm talking about problems like climate change and economic inequality and unbridled automation. In its own small way, the show is trying to carve out space for those conversations. Now, at this point, I want to take a minute to tell you what I'm up to right now and where the show is going from here. You can think of monorails and movies and the other M episodes as the first half of the first season of Soonish. It took me about five months to make those five episodes and get the show launched. And I have to tell you, it's the most fun I've ever had doing anything. That said, I had no idea going into this how time-consuming it is to produce this kind of show. I make the show completely on my own. And while I was making those first five episodes, I didn't have extra time to gather material for the next batch of shows. So that's what I'm up to now. As a very brief teaser, I can tell you that there's an episode coming up on the future of space exploration, and specifically, space entrepreneurship. I'll do an episode about task management and personal productivity, and how we manage our short-term futures, like the next day or the next week. I'm planning a show about technology for schools and the future of education and learning. I'm working on a show about rebuilding our cities and the tension in urban areas between planning for the future and preserving the past. I want to do a whole show about sea level rise and what it might look like if we had to get serious about protecting our coastlines in the future. And I'm also working on a bunch of other ideas that aren't quite ready to talk about, but it's all going to take time. So there's going to be a bit of a break before the next batch of episodes. Thank you in advance for your patience while I go out and get those stories. To wrap up today's show, I've got some news to share and also a request. 
Soonish has a bunch of great listeners who've already been supporting the show by downloading it and sharing it with their friends. The news is that you can now support Soonish directly by setting up a regular donation on Patreon. If you haven't heard of Patreon, it's a company that makes it easy to fund your favorite artists and creators on a recurring basis. It's sort of like setting up a subscription to their work. Soonish is completely free to download, which is part of what's so wonderful about podcasts. But it isn't free to make. To create the show and get it out to you, I have to spend money on recording equipment, and internet hosting, and music licensing, and traveling around to gather stories. And then there's just the cost of living where I do, in Boston. Producing the show isn't my full-time job because, well, rent. But someday I'd love to make it my full-time job, which would let me bring you even more stories. That all means I need to grow the audience to the point where the show can bring in more money from advertising. And it also means that I need to ask for support from you, the community of listeners around the show. I know you care about the future and what it might bring, or you wouldn't be listening right now. So here's the request. Please go to patreon.com slash soonish and pledge what you can. At the Patreon page, you'll see that I'm offering a bunch of awesome rewards for people who donate at various levels. You can also reach the Patreon page through the new donate button on the Soonish website at soonishpodcast.org. So sign up to support Soonish, and I'll be able to keep going out and finding the people who've had a glimpse of the future, and I'll be able to keep sharing their stories with you. Carl Sagan said, the cosmos is all that is or ever was, and the future is all that ever will be. So let's go explore it together. Soonish is written and produced by me, Wade Rausch. The show's theme is by Graham Gordon Ramsey. Additional music this week by Poddington Bear. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you leave a rating and a review of Soonish at the iTunes store, it really helps other people to find the show. I also need your honest feedback so I can make the show more fun and interesting for everyone. So if you have ideas to share about topics that Soonish should investigate, or things I should start doing or stop doing to make the show better, please send me a note at info at soonishpodcast.org. Or just get on Twitter and hit me up with a tweet at soonishpodcast. At the show's website, soonishpodcast.org, you'll find the music playlist for this week's show. Also at the website, you can sign up for our email newsletter, which includes a reminder whenever there's a new episode ready to download. Soonish is a proud member at the PRX Podcast Garage, a community recording studio and workspace in Alston, Massachusetts. For more information, go to podcastgarage.org. Special thanks to our sponsor, Kent Rasmussen Winery, and their purely poetic Pinot Noir. And thank you for listening. I'll be back with a new episode soonish. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs>